welcome to AV Plus. It's the new podcast from Commercial Integrator about all things commercial technology and AV. I'm Adam Forziati, the web editor for CI, and uh, today we have something very special for you. Not only is it our monthly longer episode, but we've also got uh, quite an interesting uh, debate to present to you today. Uh, and it all started on Twitter which usually is not something that I'd be excited about, but today I'm very excited to share with you uh, Craig, editor-at-large for CI, uh, discuss the topic of AV experiences, okay? The, the, the idea that integrators should be providing experiences for their customers and refer to themselves as experienced designers or something to that effect. Now, the people in this debate are uh, very opinionated on that term, and most of them disagree with the idea that uh, you should be using that term at all. But first, it's an interview that I conducted right on the uh, Digital Signage Expo 2018 show floor with uh, digital signage expert Alan Braun of Braun Consulting. So if you were absent from the show or, or if you were there and you just want to know a little bit more about trends to take away from uh, the show going forward, then definitely keep listening for that next. And uh, as always on our monthly episodes, we're going to do the CI Monthly News uh, Roundtable discussion with uh, Craig and Editor-in-Chief Tom LeBlanc. But first, as promised, here's Alan Braun on the 2018 DSE show floor in Las Vegas. Absolutely. Um, I talked to Tom LeBlanc about the fact that, that direct view LED has now become a real tour de force. As you and I look around the show, and you and I are about standing in the middle of the show right now, we look around and we're seeing all of the direct view LED manufacturers. I believe there are about 18 or 19, maybe 20 here at the show. So it's become a, a, a considerable influence uh, in terms of digital signage, which is all about impact all about improving the experience, all about engagement. So in that regard, yeah, we were, we were uh, expecting this and it's come to fruition. The other thing is we're seeing a lot of software manufacturers, a lot of content management system uh, people, and this is really cool. Uh, a lot of analytic companies, how do you analyze, how do you gauge um, uh, the efficacy of digital signage? And last but not least, for the commercial integrator audience, the most important thing is, the, the pro-AV, commercial AV uh, companies are now radically and rapidly embracing digital signage. I gotta admit, it took a while. I've been in the commercial AV industry for 35 years. It took a while, but that's what we're seeing at the show. Direct view LED, we're seeing analytics, and we're seeing the, the, the embracing of digital signage by the commercial community. Uh, just about everything we expected. Is that pretty much what surprises you the most after being to every one of these shows? Yeah, what surprised me, to be honest with you, early on, having been in commercial AV for so many years, is it, it took the commercial AV community a while to adopt uh, um, uh, AV over IT. I can't tell you the number of articles I wrote about that. Uh, now it's adopted. So it, uh, to be honest with you, my own industry, which is the commercial AV industry, is a little slow to adopt change. And so what I'm surprised at at this show is we're seeing all of the big companies, AVISPL and Whitlock and Diversified and HP Communications, all of the big commercial AV companies are here and, and, and it's a, 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 I'm, I'm happy about it, I'm a little surprised, and I'm just glad that they're now embracing digital signage. 
So sometimes we get into arguments on Twitter. I think we all do it. Every industry does it, and every uh, individual probably has done it if they're on Twitter at some point in their lives. You might say that you're the type of person who doesn't like to get involved, that sort of thing, but uh, I bet that you have seen something before on Twitter that you weren't really a fan of. Well, that's really what happened recently with uh, with our beloved editor-at-large, Craig McCormick, and his sharing of opinions on the AV industry, specifically what AV industry people should call themselves or what they should be focusing on in terms of their business structure. Now, Craig subscribes to the idea that uh, integrators should now focus on being experienced designers. The idea that they should describe themselves as AV experience designers and focus on what the end user actually experiences when they uh, when they use the technology that you install. But lucky enough for this podcast, the people who read that tweet uh, engaged with him a little bit on that opinion and not necessarily in the most agreeing of ways. Thankfully, though, they were also willing to uh, come on the podcast and debate Craig about his sincerely held beliefs and share some of their own. So. Without further ado, I'll let them introduce themselves. Uh, my name is David Nanto. I'm uh, an industry analyst and consultant, and uh, here as the director of emerging technology for the IMCCA today, on one of my many hats. And um, uh, no one that I know of in their right mind argues that everything is about the end user experience. The person's experience is the most important thing uh, for anyone. The question is, are we defining that experience as something wowing and spectacular and watching Cirque du Soleil people swinging over our heads at a trade show? Or are we defining that experience as simply walking in, doing what you need to do, getting it done reliably and having it be a simple, invisible, frictionless, reliable thing? I don't think we can talk about the first until we've achieved the second, and I don't think we really should have driven a wedge between those two different camps in the first place. Okay, thank you, David. Um, Harry, you want to go next? Hi, my name is Harry Mead. I'm a uh, project engineer with Diversified US. <clears throat> um, been been in AV for 20 years, and experience designer or whatever is just another marketing buzzword that's going to get us, that's going to cause people to go down the wrong path of overhyping rooms and stuff. When we sell tools for the most part, there are experience driven things, but we sell tools. They make use some of the same parts, but we're, we're more useful than just that. Okay. Thank you, Harry. Uh, Chris. How you doing? My name is Chris Neto. I am the business development manager, consultant liaison for Barco. And uh, I guess my my experience with experience is that I'm experienced, and I'm cautiously optimistic that uh, the the term uh, experience is understood correctly. It sounds very confusing, but the fact is, is yes, we've you know, being a, a former integrator, uh, we sold boxes and boxes fixed things, and then the outcome was the experience. Uh, never was that ever part of the conversation moving moving into the uh, the design and it sort of was because you sort of want the outcome where the customer was happy with what they got on the manufacturing side you know I, I work with a company that develops you know different technologies and some of them are very much in the wow factor with LEDs and projectors and stuff like that and can be a part of that uh, but we also have a, a corporate uh, a product that goes right in and just works and is known for just being a good product, solid product that just works. So the experience to me, I've seen both sides and I'm sort of in the middle when it comes to what what the experience can be. 
there's always going to be somebody in the middle there. Um, yeah. Michael, do you want to close us off, and then I'll introduce Craig. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Michael Shin. I am the Director of Global Managed Services for Verex. Uh, we are a global organization that really does focus on the user experience, but um, you know, oftentimes a lot of integrators and a lot of uh, uh, people in this industry um, consider the user experience to be what the touch panel does or how the remotes work. We really try and focus on the entire experience of the meeting. Are you able to, uh, to get your points across and get your agenda completed using the technology in a simple and direct and uh, user-intuitive uh, manner. All right, and Craig. I'm Craig McCormick. I'm the editor-at-large for Commercial Integrator, and I think I kind of kicked off this firestorm with a, a couple of uh, things that I've written recently on, on CI that, that have to do with uh, the, the idea of experience and, and the importance of that and, and how it's, it's emerging in, in the industry, in the AV industry these days. I guess with that, everybody, let's hop into our first question and make a sort of a roundtable style discussion here. The term AV integrator, to me anyway, it sounds a bit technical, and I, I'm not sure quite everybody here will agree with that analysis, but I wanted to know if you call yourself that or something similar to that uh, in front of clients. And then do you also think it's important to call yourself in front of your peers, like you know, like all of us here today? Do you think it's important for your, you to re- refer to yourself as that? Or what do you call yourself in front of your peers versus your, uh, your, your clients? Uh, Michael, you want to start us off? Sure. Um, so as I introduced myself, I, I referred to my company as an AV integrator. I think that the term integrator is important because many of the uh, different solutions in our industry for being able to communicate and present appropriately uh, and collaborate with other teams involves multiple pieces of technology that need to work together. So I'm a big fan of uh, being said, being called an integrator, maybe not necessarily specific to AV, uh, but just being an integrator um, that works with all of the other trades in order to effectively uh, deliver on the experience that our customer is looking to have uh, when using the systems that we install whether it be a simple huddle room or a very complex multiple, multi-divisible uh, space or an auditorium or a broadcast studio. So I, I believe uh, heavily in, in the use of that term. Well, Adam, I have the, the pain and the privilege of kind of being the Spock here um, uh, in the Star Trek sense. You know, I'm, uh, I'm too much of an IT guy for the AV people to like me, and I'm too much of an AV guy for the IT people to like me. So I get to be up at a much higher, you know, 50,000-foot view, 30,000-foot view, whatever you want to call it, and, um, and, and really look at it from the user's standpoint. And I've been building rooms and systems. You know, I'm, I'm almost on to my fourth decade in this industry of doing this both as an end user um, and, and with an organization that, uh, that manages it for the industry and with you know, organizations that provide and install equipment. Um, and I think we've been getting this all wrong for forever. We've been putting in systems for us, for the five or six of us who are on the call or the 12 of us that were involved in the Twitter chat, you know, things that, you know, and I, I know the logic because I used to be involved in the logic. I used to say, wait a minute, if an alien ship lands on the planet um, and somebody pulls out a computer I've never seen before and wants to plug it into my room, I need something in there to be able to make it work. That was our thinking. And everybody else, the non-geeks, has been saying, 
just do one or two or three things and make it work so that I don't have to grab somebody from IT to make it function for me. And and people will tell us they're, they'll, they'll build these $100,000, $200,000 rooms and be afraid to go into them because they know they're going to fail and they don't want to be responsible for it. So I, I think looking at this from the old school terminology is wrong. I think we need to look at it from the perspective that, you know, we need to understand what the users need and meet those needs in a way that they'll keep coming back to us happy. And right now, they keep coming back to us usually not happy unless we've figured out that it's not about us, it's about them. You know what, I, I can add to that in that the term integration or integrator came from the fact that we were one of the few, I guess, industries out there that were handed basically a box of stuff and told to make it work and nobody else could figure it out. So in the traditional sense, an integrator was the only one who could speak audio and video and bring in the control piece and make something work because a lot of times it was just, we want to do this, right? And how do I make this happen? Um, I thought for many years, uh, you know, coming from the integration field that the integrators were the ones best positioned to move into the future with the different technologies that were coming into play. But then something changed. And that change, I can't quite put a finger on it, but it could have been it could have been the smartphone. It could have been the consumer products that have started to penetrate the the market. It could be the fact that technology is rapidly changing so much in the last, you know, five, 10 years that, or excuse me, the last 10 years that nobody knows what to integrate in the fear of I'm going to put the system in and then it's going to go, you know, it, it, there's a product that's going to come out and, then, and they want to use it in the room. And how do I prepare for that? How do you, God, you know, one of the things that the integration or AV uses a lot is the word future-proof. And for many years, future-proof to me, I discovered the hard way that future-proofing a, a system was adding conduit. It wasn't a piece of technology. It was a two-inch pipe. You know, it was something that I could take, pull out whatever was there and replace it. You know, in the integration world, you had a two-inch pipe. You can cut the old wire and drag the new wire through. That was the the mentality. It was a very physical and and, and parts-based uh, industry. Uh, but now, ever since smartphones and consumer products and all that, we're talking about apps and clouds and applications that are kind of foreign for people that basically were given that box of physical goods and made the uh, you know make them work. Not to say that what Harry does on a daily basis isn't still at the heart of what we do. But I think the overall outcome is Harry is still doing a very much a, I got to build the room based on what could possibly happen. It's David's alien that's landing and this weird computer that's coming to us that we don't know about. You know, we've been preparing for the VGA connection to disappear from laptops. And unfortunately, corporate network uh, IT still is purchasing computers and still has them on their life cycles. So we've been preparing and preparing and preparing. Meanwhile, technology is advancing and we're still preparing for stuff that hasn't quite happened yet. So that's my take on the integration. And that's just my, my little point of view on that. So just to, to counter to that, Chris, I, I agree at the same time, uh, it, it's more of, we're still integrators. It's just that there's a transition now from integrating boxes to integrating softwares so that solutions can still work together. Would you all agree or disagree with that? Well, I, I would agree to it to a certain point in for a certain space, which I think is now the minority of what we're dealing with. 
I mean, if you think about radios or televisions or, 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 or any other type of appliance in your house that, that, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago when they broke, you would need someone to come repair them. Now you think about your phones and your, 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 your radios. If they break, you just chuck it out the window and get a new one. And I think that the complexity that we're building into these rooms with all of these breakpoints, the industry is starting to say, you know what, I want to treat it like my phone or my radio. I just want to have it work. And for some reason, the technology breaks. I want to chuck it out the window and get a new one delivered tomorrow. So the integrator's technical skill about control systems and details and, and, and complexities still counts for a stadium and it still counts for an auditorium, but it shouldn't count for... Um, one of 5,000 huddle rooms in a facility, it should just be drop it in, use it, have it do two things really well, nothing customized, and when it doesn't work, throw it out and get the other one. Um, I tend to go along with that to an extent. I kind of, I was flipping about the, I agree with, with Mike because he said it a lot more eloquently than I did. We are absolutely still integrators. I kind of still prefer the old school system integrator because it's not necessarily AV because sometimes you've got to talk to a bunch of different things, but there is a bunch of small repeatable rooms that are happening. When you get down to the, the kernel of exactly what we're doing Someone wants to share information with someone else. And whether that's five people in a room or two people in another office or how it, the, the kernel is, I have this information. I need to share it with these people. What you have to do is you have, for me, what I have to do is I have to make that as seamless and invisible as possible so that it's just an extension of how they work. And whether, I mean, it's difficult because you're coming up with a whole bunch of stuff right now. Um, an example was uh, somebody was having problems uh, when they were having problems figuring out how a room was going to work. And they had specified a hard codec in the room for a VTC system. The client was mostly Zoom based. So I'm like, no, chuck it. Put a PC behind there. Make it so that they log in and then they just work exactly how they work from their desktops. And then there's no training. There's no issue. There's no problems. I think our job as integrators on 90% of what we're doing, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that there aren't, there aren't jobs or, or spaces where you provide the experience. But I think using experience tends to, <laughs> AV, AV integrators are led down the primrose path very easily. <laughs> and if we start using experience, people are going to want, oh, the room has to wow you. No, the room doesn't have to wow you. The room has to work and they have to make sure that they, that the people who are using the room can use the room and not get frustrated with you for how it works. Harry, that should be our t-shirt for the next trade show we go to <laughs> work before. Wow. Yeah, but, okay. On that uh, similar vein there, Harry, Coming up with a title for this podcast was a major difficulty for me because I'm trying to think of, okay, well, what will these listeners call themselves? You know, what really identifies the industry as a whole? I guess that leads into our second question. You know, for those of you who are skeptical, which seems like it's almost everybody here, of using the phrase like experienced designer or like, you know, insert any other sort of you know, moniker here. Can you explain what you think is wrong with going down that uh, that primrose path, as you say, Harry? And does anybody have any suggestions for what the term should be if neither 
AV integrator nor experience designer will do. I was going to say, I'll let you fill in the rest of the metaphor, but the handbasket has experience written on the side of it. Um, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> basically, you, uh, you, you kind of got us in here in the first place. So where do you, will you defend okay. yourself there? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I think we talked about, you know, the idea of AV integrator being a little too technical. Um, obviously, you guys travel in different circles than I do. But um, when, when I'm talking about, you know, what I do and who I write about. Um, anybody who's outside this industry, if, if I say, you know, I write about AV integration, people don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, that it's just, it's just something that, you know, it, it's, it's probably, you know, an, an industry inside term that you, know, you guys obviously know what it is. You, you understand it. You, you know what you're talking about. You, you know what it means. I don't know that your customers necessarily know what, what an integrator is, what an integrator does. When when Infocom became Avixa in the fall, obviously the the big uh, emphasis there was was talking about integrated experiences. And I'll admit it, at that point, I was skeptical. I, I didn't quite understand the reason behind the uh, you know the the change, the the brand um, update, and that sort of thing. I, I thought it was unusual to to say the least. Um, I think they've they've pro- pro- been proven to be correct and and have made the right move because I think people are talking a lot more about integrated experiences and, and it's not always, you know, something that, that wows you or dazzles you. I, I think, you know, an experience can be walking into a room and having it work the way you, you want it to ha- having the meeting start the, the, the way you want it to. It, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, fireworks or bright lights or, or lasers or anything like that. I, I think people, when they think about experience, it can be something something simple. It doesn't have to be some some major major thing. Well, I I think there's a negative connotation to that as well, unfortunately, um, and it probably completely unintentional. And you know, look, they were they were ICIA before they were Infocom. They're Vixa now. Who knows what they'll be again in the future? You know, I mean, the, the, that kind of stuff is fluid, and I don't really like to look in on that. But you know, we're in industry that's got a lot of stuff that we have to do that we haven't done yet. You know, we haven't achieved universal reliability. We haven't achieved uh, universal across the industry. You can't go to everybody who does the job and get the job done right, no matter who you go to. Um, we, we haven't yet achieved the kind of of, of 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 responsibility and reliability and standardization that we really kind of should have by now. And the other thing is that, that so much of the gear that we used to do in an analog world, so you could pick and piecemeal and integrate it to create whatever experience you wanted, used to be standalone analog gear. Now it's reliant upon networks and the IT side of things because you can't run it without it now. Um, but none of that gear grew up with the type of, uh, of IT robustness and, 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 and change control and requirements that some of the IT gear did. So, I mean, a, a perfect example is, you know, you get the, the, the latest Heartbleed or WannaCry or Spectre or whatever it is that came out. How many pieces of equipment in a typical conference room need to be patched? How many people even know they need to patch it and how many managed service providers offer the facility to patch it because most of the manufacturers aren't even aware of it. They're not operating on the zero day timetable. I honestly, as an organization, as an industry would have liked to tackle reliability before we took on the, hey, look at this bright, shiny thing we can do. Um, because in my mind, that kind of connotes more distraction than reality. 
Uh, Michael, you were sort of noted as uh, an ally to uh, to Craig's view. Um, do you have a response to what David just said? I agree with what David is actually saying. Um, I, I don't disagree with, with his points. Um, but again, I, I, I come back to the fact that you still need a third party to bridge the gaps between the different technologies. So whether that's hardware, software, what have you, you still need an advisor, you still need uh, a, a, a company that can um, help, whether you do it internally or externally, help to bridge the gaps between uh, the way that the different technologies communicate. Um, overall, you know, the, the experience, in my opinion, is far more than just the interface with the technology. It's the experience that the client walks out of the room feeling, hey, wow, that meeting went really well. I didn't have a glitch. I didn't have a problem being able to present my communication, my, my message uh, to my team uh, or to my customer or to whatever. So, um, you know, th those are those are just some of the thoughts that, that come to mind based off of what David was talking about. Yeah, it, I, I, I don't know if, all right, I have to give the, the, the flip side to what David said. We come from a, a traditionally science-based drive, and David may argue that, well, then why didn't we go into the IT side? The same reason why IT can't figure out proper uh, viewing distances, the same reason why IT can't figure out how to split a signal to go to two different locations. Yeah, yes, with IP, uh, you know, video over IP, there's the, that conversation's there. Uh, but for many years, you know, I on the when, when I spent time on the end user side, you know, I had to account for the furthest seat in the room to be a view a viewable seat. And I fought IT and security because at the time, if you went from a, a 55 inch display and you started moving up into the into the 70 inch size or 90 inch size, you're talking about leaps and bounds, uh, 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 money wise, right? And again, what's creeping into our industry is that guy who's sitting in that meeting who just bought a 70 inch TV at, at Best Buy. And, and that argument is still something we bring to the table because you're not buying a TV, a consumer-based TV that's going to run 24-7 in a conference room. You want the reliability, and our head is thinking that. Harry's mind right now is going right on, Chris, because that science-based thinking, acoustics, a viewing distance, lighting, proper lighting in a video conference room, you can bring whatever you want to a conference room. You can tell me it's an out-of-the-box solution plopped in front of the room. That's awesome. You didn't take into account that it's a glass conference room. You didn't take into account the hard surfaces. You didn't take into account that there is no uh, light lighting up the people. You're sitting in shadows half the day. So that is the fear of somebody like a Harry who's sitting here right now going, you know what, I have to take all these different things into account. You know, But on the same token, we may have shot ourselves in the foot by overcomplicating the sauce. You know, We relied, we took a, a control system. You pick whatever manufacturer you want to talk about, right? You, we, we used to take control systems, and the control system ultimately was the answer to a thousand remote controls in the room. But for some reason, the experience part now creeps into it. And it's, it's easy to use the conversation of experience with the GUIs or with the uh, graphic user interfaces because that's the one that the integrators listening to this podcast are going to be the most familiar with. If you overcomplicate a GUI, it's never going to happen. Right, the end user is going to have that bad experience, and there's that word. So, for many years, 
you know, integrators, consultants, programmers have been striving for the one button press solution. But we've even overcomplicated that by using terminology that on, on GUIs that people didn't understand, right? The term VTC, David knows what that means. Not many people know that it's a video teleconference. And if you put that on a button on a touch panel, people are not going to touch that. They're not going to know where it, what it is. So yes, we have to be playing on both sides of the fence, but we are you know, we want to get to that experience level. The, and what you started, Adam or, or Craig, what you started in this conversation asking if we should be experienced designers, I think in the back of our minds, what keeps creeping into the back of our minds is this, you know, it's a title, right? It's like the people that use Ninja in their business cards. Do you want to be a Ninja, experienced Ninja? Is that what we're shooting for? I, I, I think it's it's more of a, it's, it's traditional AV. We, we just, we can't get past the fact that we have programmers, designers, senior designers, engineers. You throw in the experience side, and now all of a sudden you're, you're playing with terms like ninja and, and, and Jedis. And, you know, I, I don't know if I want that on a business card. I never understood that, people that label themselves with these terms. But, you know, at the, ultimately, we're all trying to move to the same, you know, to that same place where we have a happy customer who's happy with it. And I think the ultimate sign of a, of, of a customer experience is that you actually get repeat business from the people. If they like your product, if you make a product that's bulletproof, solid, puts it into room, whether it is an integrated solution or a one-off, plop it into the room, connect it to your display, and boom, you're up and running, right? Ultimately, what you want is that that customer loves that product enough the same way that they love Mac products, right? And everybody knows people sleep outside Mac stores. Why? Because of the experience. They, they're diehards, they're fans, they're cultists, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants them to, you know, accept what we put out there as the right solution so much that they, they love it. And that's what the experience is. But we're also in a, you know, we also come from a, an industry where we have a thousand freaking different subdivisions of what we are. If you go into retail, retail has been playing with the experience a lot longer than anybody else in our industry. Well, outside of the people that do amusements and live events, because that's all about the experience. This is nothing new, but in, in, in like somebody like Harry, you know, amusement parks, uh, live events, the, you lead with experience. They don't care what's running. You know, nobody's looking up at the concert speakers and going, wow, I got to go buy that XYZ brand speaker because they sounded great at the Metallica concert. All they care about is that it sounded great and it didn't, they didn't care that it didn't fail. It could have failed, but they had the systems in place to back it up. That's my two cents. I was going to say, two so, points so real quick. So, Harry, uh, I just wanted to mention here, uh, Christopher just mentioned you a few times, so I'd like to give you a chance to reply. Uh, after that, I think we're going to uh, have to close things up, but uh, definitely go for it, Harry. I was going to say, two things. First, my best Metallica concert ever was five rows behind the, the soundboard and the light board, and I could watch everything that was going on at the same time. You are such anyway. a Anyway. <laughs> You're I'm making a, my point. You're making my point. Because I'm a geek and a dork. I guess, I guess. I guess an architect was not involved, Harry. No. Yeah. <laughs> my my hands weren't shaped in the Homer Simpson going after Bart version. Um. Anyway, um, I just think that when you throw experience in there in this context, okay. Yes, many of us have been trying to maximize for, for, to, to use terms or whatever, have been trying to maximize the customer experience for many years, actively making sure that that our systems, when we go out and we talk to the, the people who are going to use the system, make sure that it's actually going to work within how they work. 
okay, and that provides them as 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 ease of use as possible, so that they do use it. There was a point made earlier about people putting in hundred, two hundred thousand dollar rooms and being afraid to touch anything. And it's like, well, that's that's poor design, okay. And design is my my forte. So, I what what I think experience bringing it experience in like this, okay. And I mean, I've kind of been harsh on on Avixa now for the whole experience thing because it's not definable. Experience means something different to any person that you talk to. You can say I'm a systems integrator or I'm an AV integrator and you can say I integrate boxes. This is a defined term. <laughs> if you say I provide an experience or I provide I try to provide a good experience it's like what's good what's an experience what are you actually there there's all kinds of terms that aren't defined in there that like I say just can lead us completely and utterly astray if you're not careful not doing what we've been preaching for years at this point of work with work within the uh, the people who are going to use the room and make sure that everything works the way that they need it to not the way that you want it to thank you all so much for for being a part of this today you can follow each of these fine av tweets on twitter too david you're at nj david d harry is at av grump <laughs> uh, chris is at chris underscore N-E-T-O, and Michael is at A-X-P-M-I-K-E. Hi, Tom. Hi, Greg. Thanks for joining me in another installment of the CI Monthly News Spotlight. So the past week or so has been particularly dense for, uh, for AV News Stretching back to the 21st, we heard about Josh Shanahan becoming the new NSCA president as of July 1st of this year. Uh, He's the owner of SVT, the third generation owner, and he says he's going to focus on what the future of NSCA membership will look like. There's also the AV services acquisition of Energy Metrics, which many are saying is a sign of a shift from hardware to software-centric solutions. Uh, In terms of big money acquisitions, though, which since I started in May of last year has been a pretty recurring theme uh, in in AV, we reported yesterday on the Plantronics acquisition of Polycom for $2 billion. Craig, can you run us through that? Yeah, it's another giant acquisition, another one with with a lot of money changing hands, obviously. Um, Plantronics is known mostly for headsets. Polycom is known mostly for video conferencing. So, so they're they're complementary services that that can uh, can can work together. Um, it, it's an interesting acquisition. Polycom has changed hands a, a number of times in the in the last few years, um, and and backed out of a deal a couple of years ago before being acquired by by another company. So, so. Th- um, they're obviously a, a wanted property, so it's it's. I think there's going to be more deals like this coming coming along. I, I don't have any inside information on it, but but I, I think there's going to be and you know more big deals like this that, that we'll see in in, the, in this year, this week maybe. Yeah, you never know <laughs> the way it goes. Uh, another big piece of news extending uh, out of the AV space, but remaining very relevant to the industry itself, nonetheless, has to do with uh, school safety. Of course, uh, this topic is. You know, sadly, nothing new to uh, America audiences. Uh, school shootings like the one at the Parkland, Florida high school, 
recently have universities and schools across you know the country taking whatever steps they can to improve security. Uh, and AV firms can play a vital role in that. Um, Tom, can you elaborate on that? Well, I think this is a topic that we're really interested here uh, for a couple of reasons. I don't know if a lot of people in the audience know that we have a bunch of sister publications that are produced by EH Media, and one of them is called Campus Safety. And Campus Safety uh, does a really good job of covering uh, issues, obviously, related to school security. And we're, you know, we sit right near those guys and, you know, we hear what they're writing about and we also hear that there is a lot of technology involved with any campus or school safety strategy. And a lot of that technology falls under the AV realm. And I think that, you know, in the time that, you know, we've been covering this commercial AV industry, I don't think that AV professionals have fully appreciated the role that they can take in creating um, a strategy for schools, which is obviously so badly needed, um, and they can play an important role. I know, you know, from you know, we spent a lot of time talking to NSCA and Chuck Wilson, executive director of NSCA. He thinks this is one of the most important issues um, that the industry is facing. NSCA um, works with the Security Industry Association (SIA) to have. Um, created something called the PASS program, which is basically um, it's basically a tiered set of standards for school schools to adopt in terms of creating a security strategy. And it really lays out, you know, what's needed in terms of AV and, um, and security. And the other thing it does is it really just kind of puts under one umbrella security and AV and makes it really clear that they're both really important when it comes to school safety strategy. After the Parkland shooting, you know, there, there was a lot of, you know, news about schools really stepping up and states and cities really stepping up their uh, emphasis on school security. And this is the time mm -hmm. for AV integrators to really look at it. Look at, you know, if you serve the education community, either higher ed or K through 12, what should you be doing? Because I think there's a lot that AV firms can be doing. Yeah, we definitely have some resources available on that topic. Uh, I'll link to that in the description, but yeah, definitely something that um, anybody in that fringe sort of market should be paying attention to. Thanks again so much for joining us for this episode of AV Plus, the podcast from Commercial Integrator. I'm Adam Ford-Ziotti, the web editor for CI, and I hope you'll join me next week on AV Plus. Have a great week.